Before we can dig a little deeper into our message lesson for this morning, we need to have a little history lesson. Now I know it's Sunday morning, it's the weekend, you weren't exactly planning on doing actual thinking here at church, but we'll give it a shot anyway, okay? Before we can understand what Paul is talking about in our section from Galatians this morning, we need a little background information. We need to learn a little bit more about the story of Hagar and Sarah. And as Paul tells us, this historical event, this story that actually happened between Hagar and Sarah, is actually a symbol of the reality that we are children of the promise. Paul says in verse 24, these things may be taken figuratively. So we need to do a little more research, a little more uh, looking into the story of Hagar and Sarah before we can fully understand the point that Paul is trying to teach us. Now, do you remember what the Judaizers' claim to fame was? They thought that because they were direct descendants from Abraham, they were somehow better than the Galatian Christians. And as Paul has done throughout this letter of Galatians, he shows the Judaizers and the Galatians that it doesn't matter who a person's father, biological father, actually was. True children of Abraham are believers in Jesus Christ. So once again, Paul goes back into the history of Israel. He goes back to the father of Israel to teach the Judaizers some lessons they should have already known. So we go back to Genesis chapter 15. At this point, God had already come to Abraham and had promised him that he would become a great nation and become a blessing to all other nations on earth. But in chapter 15, God explicitly tells Abraham that he will have a son with Sarah. Now, at this time, Abraham was getting worried because he was getting older and he didn't have a son of his own yet. He thought a slave was going to inherit all of his possessions and his property. But God comes to Abraham and he promises him that he and Sarah will have a son of their own. And in chapter 15 is where we hear the familiar verse, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So even though Abraham was getting older, getting, getting up there in years, he trusted God and his promise and believed that he would have a son. But then in chapter 16, we hear that Sarah wasn't quite as sure about that promise. She was getting older too, and she didn't think she would be able to have kids anymore, but she wanted Abraham to have a legitimate son, a legitimate heir. So she came up with this plan that she would give her maidservant, Hagar, to Abraham, and she would have a son for Abraham. So it, it was Sarah's plan, but it wasn't exactly all her fault. Abraham actually agreed to this decision. Abraham somehow lost his trust 
and his faith in God's promise. He decided to take matters into his own hands and kind of speed up the process a little bit because in his mind, God was taking just a little bit too long. But as we hear, this plan kind of backfired on Abraham and Sarah. When Hagar became pregnant, how do you think she felt? Think, how would you feel if you were able to get pregnant, you were carrying your master's child, and Sarah wasn't able to? Abraham and Sarah had been trying for a while, but would you feel that you had a little more power, a little more influence in the household if you were carrying the master's son? So what do you think Hagar did? She turned the tables on Sarah, and she began to mistreat Sarah. She actually despised Sarah. Now, what do you think Sarah did? Do you think she confronted Hagar and, and talked about their problems? Nope. She went to Abraham, and she started to blame him for what was going on. She tells Abraham, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. This was kind of an ultimatum to Abraham. Sarah was saying, all right, buddy, you're the reason she's treating me this badly. It's all your fault. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to pick me, your wife? Or are you going to pick that poor slave girl? Now, Abraham... He might be old, but he's still a quick thinker. So he says, your servant is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. A typical guy response, right? <laughs> oh, honey, do whatever you want. Yep, whatever you think is right. Go, go on ahead. Abraham really dropped the ball on that one. So, you know, what, what did Sarah do? Did she go and, and talk to Hagar, work out their problems, talk things through like adults? Nope. She went back to Hagar and started to mistreat her just like Sarah, or Hagar had mistreated Sarah. Just like two kids on a playground. Well, she pushed me, so I pushed her back. You know, not, not very grown-up thing to do. But Hagar couldn't stand it for too long. So she got up and left. She was still pregnant at this time, and she ran off into the desert. Not really the best idea at the time. But God had watched everything that had happened, and he came to Hagar in the desert and told her to go back, to submit once again to Sarah, and that everything would work out. So Hagar went back to Abraham's house, submitted and obeyed Sarah once again. And God fulfilled his promise to her and gave her a son, Ishmael. And Abraham was 86 years old at this time. Now we fast forward about 14 years, and God finally fulfills the promise he gave to Abraham and Sarah. They had a son. Even though Abraham and Sarah tried to speed up the process a little bit, 
the time was finally right for God to fulfill his promise, and he gave them Isaac. Now, Abraham is 100 years old at this time, and Sarah is 90 years old. And that's what makes this birth of Isaac so much more amazing. Because God fulfilled his promise without any help from Abraham or Sarah. Isaac was a miracle baby. Now, as, as the Jewish custom was, when Isaac was weaned from his mother, Abraham held a great feast. But not everything was fun and games on this day of celebration. Ishmael started to mock Isaac, started to pick on Isaac. Now, Ishmael is 17 years old by this time, and Isaac is barely three years old. That's quite an age difference. Now, obviously, there's going to be some tension and some troubles raising two sons with that big of an age difference. It, it would be like Adam picking on Tobias Cooper. That's, that's the age difference there was. But we all know Adam's a nice guy, and we don't have to worry about that. But Ishmael was getting jealous of all the attention that Isaac was getting. Ishmael was the oldest and thought that he should be receiving most of the attention and the affection from their father Abraham. So he started to pick on Isaac. And Sarah wasn't going to go through this again. She had already dealt with Hagar and she wasn't going to stand for Ishmael picking on Isaac. So she asked Abraham to send them away so they wouldn't be a bother to their family anymore. And that brings us up to speed from our first lesson for this morning. We heard how Hagar and Ishmael were sent into the desert. But there's one more piece of history that we have to take a little look at before we dive into our message lesson for this morning. The second part of Paul's comparison is between the two covenants that we find in the Old Testament. The first covenant is the one given to Abraham, the one-sided covenant. God came to Abraham and told him that God would take care of everything. God would give Abraham and Sarah a son and that he would make Abraham into a great nation and be a blessing to all other nations on earth. There was nothing Abraham had to do to hold up his end of the bargain. If you look at all the times God spoke this promise to Abraham, you won't find any conditions or stipulations on this covenant. God would do everything for Abraham. It was a covenant of freedom, a promise of freedom. The second covenant in the Old Testament is the one God made with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the civil and the ceremonial laws that would govern the people of Israel as a nation. Now this covenant was two-sided. This time there were conditions that had to be followed. God said that if the people of Israel obeyed his laws, obeyed his rules and regulations, then he would bless them and be with them. This two-sided covenant was a covenant of slavery, slavery to the law. Because we see throughout the Old Testament, Israel wasn't even close to upholding their end of the bargain. So this covenant was a covenant of slavery. 
So, keeping all that history in mind, keeping in mind the story of Hagar and Sarah, and the comparison between the two covenants, now we can take a closer look at what Paul was trying to tell us in the message lesson for this morning. He tells us that Hagar, the maidservant, the slave girl, represents the covenant God gave with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Hagar and the covenant on Mount Sinai made slaves. Anyone who tries to obey the law as a way to earn their salvation or earn favor with God is in slavery to the law. And just like the Judaizers were trying to tell the Galatians that they had to follow these rules and regulations, follow these laws, they were putting themselves back into slavery. We heard last week how the Judaizers, or how Paul was confused at how the Galatians would want to put themselves back into slavery after they had tasted the freedom that comes only through Jesus. The Judaizers were putting the Galatians back under the slavery that the Galatians had been in while they followed those um, weak and miserable principles of the world. The former religion of the Galatians was offering sacrifices and trying to appease the gods of Greek and Rome. And the Judaizers were claiming that now the Galatians had to obey Old Testament laws and rules and regulations. And by doing that, they were just as bad as if they were worshiping false idols and worshiping false gods. But that's where we see Sarah. Sarah represents the covenant of freedom, the one-sided covenant of the promise given to Abraham to make him into a great nation and to make him a blessing to all people. The one-sided covenant was what God did for Abraham. And Isaac was the immediate fulfillment of that covenant. When the time was right, God sent Isaac to Abraham and Sarah to fulfill the promise he gave them. And we also see that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of that promise, just like he's the ultimate fulfillment of all the other Old Testament prophecies. We see that Jesus is also the fulfillment of the two-sided covenant. Because when he came to this earth to live under God's law perfectly, he upheld our end of the bargain. He fulfilled that promise or that covenant for us. Now we have that promise of freedom. The promise given to Abraham was given long before God gave his covenant to the people on Mount Sinai. Christ came and fulfilled that promise, so he's taken care of that promise, that covenant. And now we still have the lasting covenant that God gave to Abraham. Now, once again, the Galatians were putting themselves back into slavery to the law. And we've heard in the past couple sermons how Paul was so confused that the Galatians would want to put themselves back into slavery after being free. 
And he calls out the Judaizers once again. Towards the end of our, our reading, he says, Are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. So the Judaizers thought they knew the law. They thought that because they were children of Abraham, that they were better than the Galatians. But they even forgot that Abraham had two sons. By thinking they could obey the law and earn favor with God, and by thinking that just because they're children of Abraham, that they're better than the Galatians, they actually made themselves no better than Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's other son. They were no better than their stepbrothers who had been kicked out of Abraham's house and sent into the desert. They were slaves to the law. But then Paul says, but you brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. Believers in Jesus have that promise of freedom. We have that lasting covenant of freedom in Jesus. And part of that covenant, part of that freedom, is getting rid of the slave woman and her son. Just like Abraham and Sarah got rid of Hagar and Ishmael, Paul was encouraging the Galatians to get rid of the Judaizers because they would have no part in the inheritance as free sons of God. They were slaves to the law. They tried to obey the law to earn favor with God. And by doing so, they showed themselves to be slaves to the law. But Paul says, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Get rid of those Judaizers. They, they don't, they're not going to inherit the things that you are going to inherit because you have the promise of freedom. And just like the Galatians, we too need to get rid of the slave woman and her son that are in our lives as well. It's so easy for us to fall back into slavery to the law. We think that we've done something good to earn favor with God. And oftentimes it's so subtle, we don't even realize it. Oh boy, I, I just witnessed my faith to that complete stranger. God must be really proud of me. I'll bet I earned some brownie points by doing that. Oh man, I answered that Bible study question perfectly. I really know my stuff. Well, at least better than she does anyway. You know, I've been coming to church every single Sunday for the past 10 years. Now, I haven't seen that family for a few months. It's about time they showed up. We need to get rid of the slave woman and her son. The devil works extra hard and tempts Christians in subtle, very sneaky ways. He knows which buttons to push. He knows which temptations to use against each and every one of us. He knows what's in our hearts. And that's why we need to get rid of the slave woman and her son. We need to get rid of those thoughts that somehow the things that we do can earn us favor 
with God. Now, it's, it's completely fine and perfectly good to study the Word of God, to share your faith with other people, and to diligently study God's Word and to come to worship Him every Sunday. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I wouldn't be up here if I didn't think that was the case. But we need to be careful of our sinful attitudes and our selfish motivations for doing those things. We need to remember that we are children of the promise. We have the promise of freedom. We have Jesus. We have the cross. And that's what gives us the freedom and the joy and the hope that we do have. That gives us even more hope and joy than we could ever ask for. We have that promise of freedom. And that's the message that we take out to the world. Because the world is still in slavery to sin. They don't have true joy. They don't have true freedom. Because they think they still need to do something to earn God's favor and to earn heaven for themselves. But we have the only gospel there is. We have true joy and true freedom in Jesus because he has done everything for us already. The world can have that same joy and can have that same hope and have the assurance that heaven is their home because God has done everything for them too. You know the joy that you have because of that promise of freedom. Let's go out and share that joy with everyone. Amen.